Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Almost as long as the actual Lord of the Rings, because we're still talking. We're still talking about it. Is this like the first time? Actually, now I'm blanking. Is this the first time we have legitimately been on one subject for an entire month? Uh, uh, not, I mean, not technically. Let me, let me rephrase. Not a subject, but one franchise for an entire month. We almost, well, here's the thing. It's going to be three out of four episodes. Yeah. And we did three out of four episodes in December of 2020 on Star Wars. Oh, that is true. Yeah, we did do So, prequels. no. I do remember. And I, <laughs> that's funny because one of the guests we had for that is back again for this one. But we'll get to that in a second. Because first back of all. Back again. <laughs> there and back again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the voice you are currently listening to is TJ Patrick, and I am joined, as always, by the Frodo to my hawk. Hawk? What the fuck oh, yeah. are you talking about? I'm doing a thing. <laughs> Roll with it. Okay, Trevor <laughs> Catalano. And I also we- I kind of resent I've been said I've been said that I'm Frodo several times over the past three weeks and and with I I, I resent that a little bit because <laughs> like <laughs> well it's Frodo, in this case, not great in this case it is sincerely only because you are the main protagonist <laughs> of I this. guess I don't know and Hawk is the main protagonist of Dragon Age two a game that you against all. Uh, against everyone saying I shouldn't, I still love. Thank you very much. And we are joined by a very lovely guest, one of our bestest best friends, who is the, I don't know, I guess the warden to my hawk. I was going to say inquisitor, but then that would imply that I advise you, and that's not the case. So... <laughs> No one knows what you're talking about. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't understand the purpose of this analogy specifically. Uh, Well, I was going to go with uh, uh, George R.R. Martin and Tolkien, but then I'm like, that that implies that I would write something like Game of Thrones. Um, And I'm like, (laughs) No, you mean write something ever. Um, All right. We don't I'm need getting to on be your mean case. about it. <laughs> well, you're mean about it. Um, no, he do, he's doing the podcast thing where when you introduce your co-host, you say, it's my blah to my blah. And he has had a, he's had a hard time thinking of them this month, quite frankly. Well, Lord no, of the I mean, Rings. Like, I understand how podcast introductions work. I, what I don't <laughs> understand is why, <laughs> is why we're crossing franchises at this uh-huh. moment. Because right Dragon Age is a derivative of Lord of the Rings. I mean, I mean so is all, everything. I mean, that's it. Right. Well... It anyway, we should have the person who's with us like. to introduce themselves. <laughs> oh, hi, I'm Shaleen. Um, that's Hello? me. What do you want me to say about myself? <laughs> what would Whatever you, you like say. to say about yourself? Uh, what I kind mean, of socks are you wearing? I'm not wearing socks because it's <gasps> too hot in my house for that. Oh, you weird like Western people with your heat. I um, know, right? It's it's toasty here today. It's uh, it's warm. 
I can't believe I'm yeah. on a podcast talking about the weather. Jesus. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Especially one with the subject being return of the I know, right? Right. Okay. Yeah, so we should probably I, just get into it. Yeah, I am here because I love Lord of the Rings so much with every fiber of my being. I've watched it so many times. In fact, I think the first time that I recorded with you guys, I think this might have been the episode that was lost to the void. You asked me something, Correct. something about what movies I liked, and Lord of the Rings was one of the ones that I listed for myself as like being definitive for me so yeah um i can't wait to grace you all with my wisdom wow. tj we have definitively forgot to do that with our yeah with our we guests dropped the past that like, like six stone. times <laughs> <laughs> well i think everyone got caught off guard and they didn't like it yeah um, they didn't really like it <laughs> but we do so wait no so here's the thing we did we have asked people because of the theme we have asked people a few questions we've talked about our histories with lord of the rings in the past two episodes um tj's being non-existent until the pandemic of 2020 and mine being like a slow like trickle in education until i finally really sat and watched everything in depth um but what is your history with lord of the rings oh that's such a wonderful question um so so I started um, raiding my local libraries for fantasy novels when I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. Um, and of course, Lord of the Rings is one that I found. I probably should have been allowed to wander in the adult fantasy section, but I was. Um, so I actually found it in the library, brought it home. And then my mom was like, why did you get that? We have copies. So I read her <laughs> ancient, ancient copies, um, which I still have. They're from like, I don't know, 1970 or something like that. Um, when I was in sixth grade for the first time and um, it was one of the first things that I remember reading really distinctly. I remember like how old I was, where I was. Um, I remember a very specific moment that we'll probably talk about that that translates into the movie. I remember sitting in my sixth grade literature class. Uh, we were having silent reading time and there was a moment that was so striking to me that out loud I went, yes, um, and got in so much trouble. Um, so when the, when the first movie was announced, um, my dad was like, oh, we should go see that together, but you know, it's PG 13, so I have to go see it first. So my parents went to go see it to make sure that it was like child appropriate. Um, and then we, I watched them all basically as they came out. And then, um, every, uh, Christmas since then, that's our family tradition. We start and think at Thanksgiving, when we start cooking Thanksgiving dinner, we finish up around new year's, we watch all three movies. And then as many of the extras as we can get through, um, in the time that we have. So, oh, wait, does that include like the Hobbit movies and like the animated Hobbit and things like no, that? No, 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 oh. no, that, that just includes this trilogy. And then. Like if you get the box set DVDs, they have each movie has two discs of like, here's how we did this. And here's how the writing process right. went and all and all that kind of stuff. So we watch as much of that as we can get through. And every year we start in a different movie so that we don't just watch the extras for the first movie every time. So I kind of wish you were there last uh, for last week's episode, because I said a lot of things that were assumptions I'd heard about what Tolkien intended and all and what the movie was. And I don't know if they're right. Um, so you should definitely fact check me when that one comes out uh yeah i mean i'm not i'm not a token scholar by any means um and and al although there were um very well-renowned token scholars who worked on the movies and who informed the writing choices and the directing choices and things like that they are not the only token scholars in the world and some of you know as they do scholars have varying opinions so i'm not i'm never going to claim to be um 
you know, the most factual of people because I'm not. That's not my area of study. But I have watched these movies many times, and that makes me qualified to talk about them, I guess. So which is your favorite of the of the three movies? The third one. This this okay. one is my favorite. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Thank I'm you. delighted, actually, that this is the one I get to talk about. So so with Fellowship, I have to like set up some ground rules. With Fellowship, we were like, we can kind of talk about this and talk through like our comments and, and make jokes as the plot goes. And we'll just explain the plot as we go. And then we decided to try to do that for Two Towers. And it, we lost the plot entirely because they're three different plots and they make more sense to describe them all like they make more sense to describe them as one plot and then talk about that plot instead of going back and forth between them. Um, and for this one, I kind of feel like I should just do the plot now because um, I don't think it's all that complicated. Um, and I feel like I should just say it now. TJ, what do you think? I. On your head, be the consequences seeker. I'm just oh, going to keep God. making Dragon Age references. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like that, Trevor. And the reason I like that is because in both the second and third books, that's actually what Tolkien does, is it's like, hey, do you want an entire chapter of just what's happening with uh, with Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas? Great. And then the third book is all what happens with Frodo and Sam. So like he also didn't weave the stories together. He did like one plot line at a time. And I think that that's how it was intended to be. Well, I say that I said this last time. I definitely feel like Return of the King is more weavy in that way, because like we definitely spend time with like the trio in Rohan. And we spend time with Frodo and Sam, and then we spend time with Merry and Pippin and the Ents. And those are the three plots of Two Towers. Whereas this one, it's like, okay, cool, like, we're going to separate characters who were previously together, and we're going to give Aragorn his little loop-de-loop here, and Gandalf his little loop-de-loop here, and then we're going to basically make them all, put them all in the same place, except for Sam and Frodo at the very end, but even then, they're not too far from each other. And so, like, this one definitely, like, it does feel like it, it starts wrapping itself around up which is why i'm kind of like i should probably just go through the whole the whole plot first go for it all right so we open with this movie we get a little backstory on how smeagol became Gollum with a flashback sequence of him uh finding the ring and then subsequently having a montage of him being corrupted um into Gollum. uh and then the trio and gandalf make their way back to isengard to check on things is that why they do it i'm already forgetting why are they at Isengard again? Tell me why they're at Isengard again. Well, this is why I'm, I'm like, should I not do it? Isn't it in the extended <laughs> edition that they kind of have to deal with Saruman? Okay, yeah, and that's, okay, that is a note of me. I'm like, oh, I forgot that Saruman's death is only in the extended. And I was like, why? This is, like, kind of important. Otherwise, he kind of just fucks off and we never see him again. Like, Christopher Lee is, like, not in this movie unless you have that scene. I don't understand why. I have um, to go. My planet needs me. <laughs> oh, so so they go to they go to check on us <laughs> if you're not going to contribute to the discussion a, because it's lord well of the ring known simpsons reference like that's not even niche <laughs> I, I didn't know it so i didn't react i'm sorry sorry, sorry bud yeah well um, i understand so yeah. why you might not know it Jay. <laughs> so the the quasi adults go to check on isengard 
Um, and they see Merry and Pippin just fucking around with all the extra food and shit from Saruman's uh, stash. Um, and then they find out that like, oh, they got the Ents to take down Isengard. And so this, this part is kind of, kind of fixed. And Pippin discovers, uh, the, the orb. Is there a word for it? Palantir. Um, Palantir. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lantern or what? Palantir. Palantir. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> um Pippin discovers Halantir. We skip the part where uh Saruman gets stabbed by Grima. Um, but then Gandalf takes takes it back, um, and they all be- head back to Rohan to celebrate. Um, and so the hobbits start drinking, and uh Aragorn and Gandalf are like, mm, yeah, no, we gotta head to we gotta head to Minas Tirith because uh, you know, the forces of Mordor are still out there and they're gonna start marching on that. So we should all head that way. And they look to Theoden and he's and they're like, You wanna come help us? And Theoden's like, Why should I? They didn't help me in my time of need. And so uh meanwhile, so Pippin and Oh no, sorry. So when they're all asleep. Pippin can't resist himself, and he decides to go into Gandalf's shit and get the, say it again for me, please. Palantir? Palantir. Um, just because he's curious about it. And he grabs it, and then suddenly Sauron sees him and thinks that he has the ring, and it tortures Pippin, and they have to, like, wake him up out of it and stow the thing away. Um, and because Pippin fucks up, Gandalf's, like, really mad at him and decides that he has to come with him to, uh, has to go with him to uh, Minas Tirith and Gondor um, ahead of it to to warn, uh, you know, Denethor and, and all those people. Um, is that why? Is there any other reason he actually takes him? No, that's that's it. That's okay, the cool. reason. All right, great. Cool. I'm just making sure I'm not missing something. I mean, you uh, can get into some weird complex guessing of like, oh, that way he would think that the ring was in Minas Tirith. But like, it's never stated. That's just sort of a, a guess. So he's just he's just babying him is basically what happened. Um so he takes him to Gondor. They we meet Denethor, who is Boromir and Faramir's father, um, and he is a psycho like steward of Gondor, not the actual king, but wants all the power, wants to keep the power, and will not prepare themselves. Doesn't believe that there's anybody coming to threaten them, um, and will not help anybody. So Gandalf launches this whole scheme, and this is probably a real the real reason why he brought Pippin um, to essentially light the beacons. Um, secretly to get Pippin to climb up without anybody noticing and light the beacons so that Rohan thinks that Gondor has called for aid and to get Rohan to send reinforcements for the battle that will eventually happen. Um, eventually these, these signals go across all of Middle Earth and Rohan decides that, hey, you know what? We are going to go help them. So they get everybody together and they start heading that way. Um, and Gandalf goes back to meet them. Pippin, because he gets in trouble for this, is then set in, it then has to, or no, no, it's because of Boromir. Wait, is it because of Boromir's death or because he lights the, lights the thing? It's, it's because uh, of, he tells Denethor about Boromir's death, basically. And then, it, oh yeah, and because Boromir saved, saved them. And that's why he says, I have a life death, a uh, life debt. So Pippin is now uh, like, you know, uh, somebody who's serving the court. Gandalf goes back to meet the people of Rohan. And he basically says to Aragorn, like, Hey, uh, you're, you got a different path and that's going to become clear pretty quickly. Um, Meanwhile, the orcs all kind of march on Mira's Tirith. Um, we spend some time in the Rohan camp as they're trying to get as many men as possible. They don't nearly have nearly enough. Um, and then there's the pathway. Remind me of the name of the pathway with the dead people. Uh, ooh, give me a second. It'll come to me. 
Okay, we'll chime in in a second because there's this all, all all this other like subplot. We finally get to see Arwen again, and Arwen basically says, "Hey, Elrond, you know that he has to be who he's supposed to be, and I'm going to stay with him. So be a good papa and uh, reforge the sword of Isildur, um, and uh, that that way they can do the thing that I'm about to describe in the plot that Aragorn has to learn and become the true king. And then Elrond goes, "Okay," and reforges the sword, okay. and then they send the sword to the camp. Um, <laughs> I think it's just called the Pass of the Dead. The Pass of the Dead. Okay, cool. I don't think it has like a fancy name. Okay. Well, so essentially, Aragorn gets the sword uh, and realizes what his destiny is supposed to be, that he has to get reinforcements by uh, honoring the life, by... uh, honoring the curse that Isildur placed on these men from the mountains, um, that if they didn't help in the first battle, that they would be cursed to uh, never be have, like, you know, permanent ghosts forever. And these ghosts can also fight, they can touch people, and people can't touch them. They're basically a massive, massive weapon. Um, and so Legolas and Gimli are like, you're not going in there alone, it's scary, and they go with him. Um, so the battle starts, uh, a guy, you know, a, 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 like a pale-looking orc who looks like Jay- uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, um, <laughs> takes a bunch of orcs to Minas Tirith and the battle starts. Um, Denethor sort of freaks out and is like, nope, nope, it's not happening. This isn't happening. And Gandalf kind of takes control and says, all right, people, you're going to listen the fuck to me and we're going to fight these people. Um, the battle, they exchange like, you know, catapults and trebuchets back and forth for a while. Um, Meanwhile, Aragorn, you know, gets, meets with the ghosts, proves that he is the heir, um, and then we kind of leave it as a cliffhanger. It's like, oh, did he serve them? There's a very long battle. There's other, you know, people who come in. There's the, I forget the name of the, of the people who are, you know, uh, racist caricatures, um, who come into the battle. There's a very long battle, um, the people of Gondor are kind of cowardly. Um, the, the people of Rohan show up and help out and get rid of a good portion of people. And then finally, when we think the reinforcements for the bad guys are coming via boat, it's actually Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli with the ghosts. They finish off the battle and they essentially regroup in Minas Tirith. Um, during this whole time, Denethor is basically going crazy over Faramir's potential death um, and decides that he's going to burn the two of them alive in the Citadel, uh, which Pippin and Gimli Gandalf basically have to stop because, uh, nope, Faramir's still alive and Denethor is just crazy. Denethor gets set, set on fire and runs off the cliff, uh, cause he's crazy. Uh, meanwhile, Sam and Frodo, uh, during all of this, Gollum has basically swayed Frodo away from Sam, saying Sam wants the ring, using the ring's corruption to, uh, get Frodo to leave Sam, and they head into the tunnel where Shalob, uh, the giant spider is waiting to essentially eat Frodo so Gollum can get the ring. Sam, ever perseverant, decides even though he's been cast away from Frodo, is going to follow shortly behind, ends up saving Frodo, but not only, not until after Frodo has been stung and sent into a coma and wrapped up in webbing. He thinks that Frodo is dead, but the goblins are, is it goblins or orcs? I always forget, depending on how they, how they make up. Anyway, bad guys pick up Frodo. They're orcs, okay. Orcs pick up Frodo and say, oh, we could eat this dude. He's still he's still alive. He's just paralyzed. And Sam goes, oh no, I fucked up. Sam follows them to a tower in the camp um, and takes Sting and eventually is very brave and kills a bunch of orcs in order to save Frodo. Frodo wakes up from the coma um, and Frodo thinks that they have stolen the ring because he doesn't see it on him. And Sam goes, no, 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 I've had the ring the whole time. Frodo has a moment where like, fuck you, give me the ring back. And Frodo, Sam's like, yeah, no, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, they put on some armor. There's a couple deleted scenes of them, uh, trying to blend in with orcs, but basically they're now on their way to climb up Mount Doom. Um, everybody rallies around, uh, 
Aragorn, uh, everybody who's left, and then they head to the gates of uh, they head to the gates of Mordor to essentially be a distraction because they are confident at this point that if the ring hasn't fallen into Sauron's hands, that they can still buy some time for Frodo and Sam to finish off the job. Um, they basically do that. They get surrounded by these orcs and Aragorn rallies everybody and says for Frodo and everybody starts battling um, in a very losing battle. Gollum shows up, tries to stop them from finally getting into Mount Doom and, and dropping it in there. Frodo uh, does finally, after Sam carries him up the mountain, a la Madame Zeroni, uh, does finally get into Mount Doom and is about to drop the ring in when he decides that uh, when the ring finally corrupts him and he decides he's not going to do it, he turns invisible. But Gollum can see where he's going based on his footsteps, bites his finger off with the ring on it, and then Gollum and the ring and the finger fall into the pits of Mordor where Gollum dies in the lava and the ring takes a little bit to die. Um, Frodo is hanging there and is debating about whether or not he should just kill himself because of the way that the ring has corrupted him. Sam saves him and then they get out and they lay down. Once the ring has been destroyed, the Tower uh, of Sauron's Eye, uh, I, Balad, I, it's like Balador or something like that, right? Um, Barador, there we go. Uh, Barador just collapses once Sauron's power is gone. Uh, there's a giant hole, that a sinkhole that all the orcs fall into and the rest of them run away, and they realize that they have won. Um, the eagles do show up mid-battle to ward off the... Uh, Nazgul. To ward off the uh, Nazgul... Um, God, I really shouldn't have tried this. Um, (laughs) and the, and the eagles, uh, end up getting Sam and Frodo off of Mount Doom. They all go back to Rivendell to, uh, you know, heal up. And then they have this lovely kind of dreamy reunion sequence where the fellowship is all reunited once again. The, uh, there's a whole subplot with Eowyn and, and, uh, Mary during this whole thing that I completely skipped over, what we will talk about. And, uh, the hobbits get to go back to, uh, the Shire. Uh, everyone kind of gets to go their separate ways, except they do crown Aragorn as the true king of Gondor. Um, and and it's a very sweet moment that we'll talk about. And then we flash forward a little bit to Frodo having written the Lord of the Rings down similar to what uh, to so, similar to what Bilbo did with the Hobbit story. And uh, they all set out to join the elves because Bilbo is going to join them in whatever place that they are going to, which is equivalent of the afterlife. And it's decided that. Gandalf and Frodo are also going with them. So they have to say a very, very sad goodbye to the rest of the hobbits. The book is given to Sam and he is told, go have the, go have your next adventure. Sam goes back to Rosie Cotton and it's the end of the movie. Hot damn. Did that take me 20 minutes? Just about almost. Okay. (laughs) But now we can talk about it. That was pretty good though. No, it wasn't. No, it was like you, you covered all the salient bits. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's go back to the top of the salient movie here. Salient bits sounds like a great name for a band. It does. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I, the word bits is what's getting all me in that All the salient case. bits. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, overall, overall feelings from my summary here. <laughs> About Wait, the movie, not my summary. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, the summary? <laughs> <laughs> now, give me feedback. What could I have described better? Did I have to remember all the names of things? <laughs> no. Look, I'll just say, I think that this is not only the best of the movies, I think it is also one of the best movies, just kind of full stop. I think it's it does everything that it intends to do in, you know, what is what doesn't seem like a super efficient way but is really the only way to get all the content in 
um, it's, you know, it's really beautiful and it's meaningful and everything that is there is there for a reason. And I, I just really love it. I think it's great. That's true. That is one complaint that like, despite the, we, we've been talking a lot the past few weeks about how, like, if this was never made in the 2000s and made in the contemporary age, it would absolutely be an HBO miniseries and it would be split up and like more easily digestible, like peaks and valleys and, and episodes. Um, but one thing that we really haven't talked about is like things that shouldn't be there, which is just not the case for this. And that's, that's, I think an effect of the, of how we can all definitively say that like, this is a very faithful adaptation. They put a lot of work into making this a faithful adaptation. And we've said it for the past two weeks and it holds true through all three of the movies. I don't like Hobbit Smeagol. Yeah, I was going to say, why does he have a weird voice as a human? That's a question that I don't have an answer to. That was something that they (laughs) kind of added. That's like, he sounds like Stitch. That's true. Like, I feel, I genuinely feel like that transformation is horribly lessened because it doesn't feel like a normal guy. It feels like a guy that's like already half Gollum. Well, because the other guy, his voice is normal. He's just like, yeah, I'm a dude. And then Smeagol is like, yeah, yeah, let's go fishing on my birthday. <laughs> and it's like, okay, all right, this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to have the fate of the entire, uh, the entire Middle Earth eventually like intertwined with him. Dear God. You know what um, it reminds me of, actually? <laughs> what? We're bringing a bunch of things full circle since we had Jay on the prequels and now we're having her again. Uh, it reminds me of Attack of the Clones, Anakin, who's basically already like almost corrupted and almost falling to the dark side. And we're like, George, we have a whole other movie. <laughs> what, what are you doing? The women and the children. Um <laughs> Like this, this entire scene, uh, I do really still like the entire scene, even though he is just, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Andy Serkis is, is more attractive than this. And you could have made him like more of an attractive human, but no, you really made him just a weird dude. Um, but I do still like the scene. I think it actually adds a lot to the story to see him actually, to see the struggle between the two of them and the murder that set him off. And like the montage, I could take or leave. You know, I think there's some merit to the montage and really seeing him transform. Um, but the one thing, the way they shoot the ring in this moment of like him, them both seeing it and being like awestruck by it is I just had a new headcanon of like, the ring essentially being like whenever anybody sees it and they're captivated by it, the ring basically saying like, Oh, Hey babe, how's it going? You can have me if you want. OMG. Like, no, don't fight over me. Kill him. Like I want, I want it. I want the rings voice to be just a toxic teenage, uh, like a toxic teenage girl. I think that would be so much fun. That would be very funny. I think, I think the scene is like, weirdly enough, one of the places where you sort of see some of Peter Jackson's like roots where like Peter Jackson just wants to do fun shit. Like he doesn't, that's sort of his MO. That's his whole vibe. Right. And this feels a little bit like one of those scenes that he just kind of got away with because nobody told him no. And I kind of understand the purpose, right? Like they wanted to draw this parallel between Fredo and Smeagol that they hadn't really done yet. That I mean, okay, like I can see where 
maybe that wasn't as strong as you wanted and where it wanted to really show the the corrupting power of the ring. But I think it maybe would have been a little bit stronger if Smeagol was a little bit more like Frodo when he started, you know? Yeah. Like that's that's kind of my one thing is like, he doesn't have to be the gentlest soul in the world, but he jumps from zero to murder real quick. And that doesn't give us the sympathy that we want to have when we've watched Frodo carry the ring for months now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Makes sense. Um during this whole sequence just seeing Anthony and Andy Circus like transform and everything like that. I am also once again reminded to also link it back to the prequels of Star Wars. There is no Gollum without Jar Jar Binks, just FYI. Um <laughs> technologically, there is Technologic. no Gollum without Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, you're right. And is it any wonder that people are afraid of technology? Technology. Oh my god. <laughs> um again so my i i don't know if, so so we go into mary and pippin uh and, and isengard and like the the only note i really have from this whole this whole sequence again is why i'm i'm upset that when i watch just the standard edition that saruman's death is cut and i'm just like why that feels like it's not that long and kind of important. Yeah, well, here's the other thing about Saruman's death is that going into the movie, if you've read any of the books previously, which of course millions of people have, not everybody, but millions of people have, um, there's, I, I know one of the big complaints about you know, this movie is, oh, there's too many endings. The book has more additional endings and one of them is the thing yeah. that you just talked about where Saruman fucks off. He goes to the Shire and enslaves the Shire. So they all get back to the Shire and then have to oust Saruman and his armies. So like to not put it in there in the theaters kind of left you wondering like, oh, is that going to happen? Like, are we going to see that? Because when we saw it in the theater, that scene wasn't there. So then to like get to the end of the movie and be like, oh, like what happened to Saruman? is kind of like a weird it's that's oh, that's a weird choice to not just keep that scene. genuinely like, i mean it's a good choice to not have that sequence that's for sure yeah like i did not need a whole extra subplot right after those endings but like genuinely like any anyone that's kind of used to like criticizing scripts and kind of looking at scripts with a bit of a magnifying glass, you get to the point where they get to Isengard and you immediately start getting these red flags because Gandalf just goes, no, 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 no. he's got no power anymore. He's, he's fine. He's harmless. Let's just leave the ends here and just move on. Just reeks of, Oh, you don't have time to deal with this. Oh, Okay. So, but here's the thing. That's been your main antagonist for the past two movies, not Sauron. (laughs) Sauron has absolutely been the more direct antagonist for two straight movies, and then he just disappeared. You you actually can't do that. You actually can't do that. (laughs) Like, it'd be different if, you know, it'd be different if it was like Grima, because literally... I think, Trevor, you said Grima's name like five minutes ago, and I was like, oh, yeah, Grima. That's fine. I don't give a shit about that. It's because Saruman has been so front and center because, I mean, you just kind of can't really do much with Sauron at that. 
in terms of the first two movies, not really. Like, it's just really weird then. <laughs> because it's like, okay, I feel like we ran all the way up to this finish line and then just kind of went around it. Don't we want to, you know, nobody's going to, nobody's going to even cut the, cut the rip. You guys are no fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And and it's so funny because it's like, that's the complaint. And they solved it by writing and shooting that scene. And it, like the, the scene, like the scene is there. It exists. It's a good scene. They have it. But it's only in the extended edition. So like take that for what it is. I also am a believer that like if you're going to talk about Lord of the Rings, you might as well just talk about the extended edition because it's been long enough, you know? Well, I mean. You're not wrong. We needed to spare TJ. (laughs) Genuinely, I have never had the means to ever watch any of the extended movies. For real? Yeah. They just. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you still have to buy them on Amazon. No, if you I, want rent, to watch I rent them from the libraries. The libraries don't have the extended di- edition. Oh. Which is stupid. <laughs> like Uncultured you're a Nevada swine. <laughs> let, let me give you this to, to chew on, though. If you were to stream it now, if you were to buy a copy now, the extended edition is basically the only thing available. That's I mean, that's, true. I think that's how it... Well, like, okay, that's no. kind if of how it was intended to be. And I... It, if if I'm not mistaken, the reason that there's a regular version and an extended version is because at that time you couldn't show a movie in the movie theater over a certain length. Now yeah. you can do whatever the hell oh. you want and people will watch it. But there was a lot well, of like movie theaters being like, no, we're not gonna air the extended editions. There's too they're too long. Yeah, genuinely speaking, movie theaters will never go for showing anything more or kind of even approaching three hours. Because it means that they're actively losing money. You, you, they can't turn around yeah. the theaters that fast, and they can only give a certain amount of theaters to certain movies. Like, I think genuinely the only movie that ever could have maybe challenged that was Endgame. But, like, yeah. And even still, I think, yeah, in a digital context, there's no reason to not have the option. Do you want the theatrical or the extended? Because it's digital. Like... You just, yeah, it's like having subtitles. Just like, just pick one. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Oops. Uh, but even me having never seen the extended edition, I knew that Saruman scene was shot and was there. That's <laughs> like, so this is the first time I've seen, this is the second time that I've ever seen Return of the King. And even I was like, ah. Yeah, no. <laughs> you really should have. This is missing. <laughs> well, it also kind of has that moment of like, you then you then you didn't need to go to Isengard at all. You well, could have just had Merry and Pippin come to Rohan. No, yeah, but then I think you still get the same problem of like, this has been our villain for so long. Right, but I'm saying if you're going to do it, then just completely do it. I mean, yeah. then there's the whole picking up the thing I can't remember the name of. Um, <laughs> the Palantir, that is actually pretty important, I guess. Like, I don't know why it's... A, it, it doesn't seem that important, really, in the grand scheme. Well, the funny thing is that, like, I think Sauron would be really successful at social media companies because everything okay. he makes, people just can't seem to take their eyes off of. Um, right. Yeah, it's a cheap joke. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh at any of my shit. 
but you come in here with your fucking social commentary. <laughs> Um, So here's one of the things that they don't make super clear that I wish they had made more clear, which is the connection between the Palantir that Pippin has uh, that, you know, he gets into trouble with and the Palantir that Denethor has, which is why he's the way he is. Um, I'm saying it for the first time. I will say it many more times. This is a very ritualized thing in my household to say, fuck Denethor. Well, yeah, like that's it. That's the sentence. And. Uh, you know, that's where we're at. And, and His also, name is Denethor. The they don't like. tell us <laughs> is that the reason he is that way is because he has also been using a Palantir. And they kind of hint at it, but they never say it. So if you weren't looking for it, you don't know that. Which is true of many, many things in the movie that's like, there's a lot of things that are just kind of hinted at because if you tried to fit all of the content in there, the movie would be six hours. So. Hot damn. But they have enough time for the song. <laughs> Don't bash the song. The song is very important. No, I know. I'm I know. It's like the emotional heart of the movie. Don't act. No, I I actually agree. Um, I was just being I was just being shitty. Um, I don't have anything. I don't have anything else until Pippin and Mary are separated. I mean, there's not really all that much other than Theoden going like, no, fuck, fuck them. Fuck the fuck the Gondorians. (laughs) Fuck the Gungas. I, I want to actually talk about Eowyn's stream for a second. Oh, can we talk oh, yeah. about Eowyn, please? Yes, we will talk about Eowyn so much. Um, So she's got the, there's a moment that gets lost. In fact, that I think didn't make it into the standard editions where she is sleeping um, like out in the main hall. Aragorn walks out, um, like puts kind of a blanket over her. She wakes up and shares with him a dream Um that is sort of this menacing, you know, she sees these green hills and a dark wave. Um, and it's it's sort of this like surreal moment a little bit. Um, and that is actually a moment that is pulled from the book, but somebody else has that same dream. It's actually Faramir in the book. Um, and so it's it's one of the most iconic sort of pieces of prose that they they didn't have space to give it to Faramir. And so instead they pulled it and they gave it to Eowyn. And it very much is like when you're looking for how did Tolkien feel about war? Like, why did he write these books? That's one of the pieces of prose that people pull all the time is this idea of this like dark cloud covering the land of the Green Hills. So that's just something that I wanted to point out and that I wanted to make sure that, you know, we kind of gave some homage to because it's really, um, in a lot of ways, the the core of what the story is about. Well, so I'll say this to you now because you're you're new to the concept, but I've said this in all three episodes where like that is something the more I watch it, the more I pick up the cinematography that says those things. Uh, we were specifically in the last episode talking about um, the goodbyes in the uh, in the caverns at uh, Helm's Deep. Um, about how all the boys and the old men are going off and the women are are saying their final goodbyes and no one knows what's going to happen. And and I used to watch these with friends who would just skip to the battle scenes. And now looking back, I'm just like, the battle scenes to me are the least interesting thing about the, the way that this movie presents war and glory and valor and sacrifice because it's those things that actually like tell you what, like, yeah, actually kind of give you some sense of like, the stakes of what's going on. So like, yeah, I'm glad they found a way to keep it in. Yeah. 
Okay, that's all. We can move on to, to other things now, but I didn't want to skim past that. So people who have come from last week's episode to this week's episode will have noted that I was very uncharacteristically quiet. It's because, and I like to shorthand this as it was a Mandalorian problem, because there are times when we might, say, have a guest or two or three, as it has just happened last month, where if everyone else is kind of doing their own thing and they're carrying the conversation, I tend to kind of quiet down because I'm the host and I kind of do a lot of time management as best as I can. But with The Mandalorian specifically, sometimes I will hold off on my negative comments if there's an overwhelmingly a lot of positive vibes going on because I don't want to be that guy. But now I have more reason than I did last movie to talk about this Eowyn bullshit that I fucking hate. I despise about the first two-thirds of everything Eowyn does in this trilogy. Specifically because everything in the last third is way more interesting, and I'm way more into it. I hate the non-love triangle in this fucking trilogy so bad. Because for me, it just reeks of just, here's something for this character to do. And also, wouldn't it be, isn't it some neat drama? We need conflict. And also, well, Arwen can't be here for Aragorn to have sexual tension with. Let's just have him have sexual tension with another woman. And I just... Genuinely... If Eowyn had, for the most part, the entire time she's on screen, had the story arc and the character arc of, I refuse to just be another damsel, another fair maiden, I am a fucking warrior, I was trained to fight, and god damn it, I will fight for the things that I love, I would be all about it. But the way it is now... And it doesn't help that Arwen basically gets to do almost nothing in the last two movies and is still kind of barely in the first one. It's just, I, oh, oh, I, 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 I flames, flames, flames <laughs> on the side of my face. I, I, heaving, heaving breath, heaving. <laughs> I, every time. Eowyn showed up in the last movie. I wanted to fast forward so bad. And it has nothing to do with Eowyn. Because I love Eowyn as a character. But I only love her for about a third of her screen time. And it just hurts. Because I'm like, I, I'm looking at this character and I know she has so much to offer. But you're using her for so little. And I, oh, I can't stand it. And it's... I'm waiting for you to get this out of your system before I offer my counter proposal. Yeah, because the reason I didn't say it last episode is because I felt like I would just start a bunch of fights and I didn't want to do that. And now I feel like also I'm just going well, to. No one was going to fight you, which is true. I am not going to fight you. 
but I do have a different way of seeing it that I would like to share. And a little bit, this is dipping back into the last movie. So like, I want to preemptively apologize for that and is like both in line with what you're saying and also not right. So you have this character who is a warrior. She is a shield maiden of her hand. She's capable. Um, and she starts out very much with this story about, I want to be a fighter. I like, I want to, like, I want to join the front ranks. I want to do all of these things. And a lot of the second movie is about her relationship with that desire is about, is about like, there's, there's nowhere more clear of the juxtaposition of what young people think war is and what war is actually in the context of the world and of, and of the story, right? Is that a lot of times in media, we get like, the sort of brash young man who wants to go off to fight and has to learn that actually that sucks and he shouldn't want that. And in this instance, we've given that storyline to a woman, which is astonishing. Like that's that's an incredible thing to do. That's that's unheard of. And it was done very deliberately. Um, he was reading all these myths. He was reading all these stories. And specifically, he had went to see Macbeth and was like, oh, no man of woman born can kill the king. Well, why doesn't a woman just do it then? And then when that's not what happens, he was like, I call bullshit. It should have been a woman. Um, so Tolkien really did that deliberately to sort of give her this relationship between sort of thinking that fighting is glory and then discovering that it's not about the fighting. It's about protecting people. It's about taking care of the people that, that you know, you're fighting to save. So that's sort of where that starts. And then we move into the third movie, which is where we start to have this sort of like interest in Aragorn, really. And the thing about that, that I think people forget a lot, is that Eowyn is the highest ranking woman left alive in the world, like the, the highest ranking human woman in the world. If she ever wants to rule a kingdom, which she has shown she is very capable of doing, Aragorn is not just a love interest. He is also a king. And it's very reasonable for her to, number one, look at him and acknowledge the, the interest in the nobility he has, right? That's like, yeah, he's a great guy. But also it is reasonable for her to assume that this is going to be the match for her. And so if you look at it through that lens, it feels less like weird romantic tension and more like someone being like, this is the person that I probably am going to marry. And I should like, that should mean something. And and so in that context, a lot of the conversations that they have make a lot more sense because it ends up coloring all of those interactions with the sense of like, she's not pining. She's not like pining and longing, but like she does genuinely care about him and also can acknowledge that the likelihood is good that she is going to marry him. So like, that's a thing that like, are those scenes a little uncomfortable to watch? Yeah, yes, but they're also uncomfortable positions for her to be in. So like, that's that's sort of my counter view on that is that like having that 
awkward, weird, uncomfortable thing doesn't make her less interesting. It makes her a more fully developed character. She can be a, a badass and she can be a fighter and she can be a leader. And she also can be trying to navigate a relationship that she doesn't know what to do with and is kind of invested in, but like doesn't know where it's going. Like those things can coexist. And a lot of times, especially in fantasy media with women, you get one or the other, you never get both. And so to see both of them in Eowyn is very, I, I think, a stronger choice than not having it at all. But that is also something that a lot of times I just agree to disagree with people about because, like, I see it that way and not everybody does. And, like, that's very valid. The problem is that the way you interpret it and explain it, yes, I would have loved that. The problem is that I genuinely, that is not the execution of these last two movies by Peter Jackson specifically because like from a cinematography standpoint and from just everything we are communicated visually it is like I have no word for what this interaction between these two characters is other than pining like I I genuinely don't have the vocabulary to call it anything else like the scene where Aragorn is thought dead and he comes back and he sees Legolas and Eowyn is about to run up and like greet him. And then she sees the necklace that, okay, actually, I don't want to call this a trinket. So what is actually the name of the necklace that the evening Arwen, star, the evening star Legolas gives Aragorn the evening star. And the second she sees it, she stops dead and is like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's taken. And it's like, this is why I don't particularly, yeah, let me clarify. I don't more, like the execution. More importantly, in that scene, he's also, to, to her perspective, dead. So, like, that's something that is worth yeah. bearing in mind that, like, it's pretty normal to be devastated about people when they've Yeah, died. I agree. I agree. Like, so if if she still ran up to him and like hugged him and was super excited that he was like the way Gimli and Legolas kind of do. It would be one thing. It's the fact that she does stop the second she sees the reminder that Arwen is in the picture that reeks of, Oh, you're trying to go for a love triangle thing because like that specifically is what I don't like every time that they interact and talk I'm in it because I think it would be a really great relationship to flesh out to like the first time that they officially like kind of meet. They have that little very, very quick sword interaction. And I wanted way more of that. I wanted more of like and to your point of, you know, her think her being the highest ranked female in all of Middle Earth at this point and the fact that, you know, yeah, this very well could be the person she marries eventually. If more conversations were had where it wasn't necessarily romantic, but it was genuinely like her just trying to get to know this guy and like trying to feel him out and get a sense of who he was as a person. I genuinely would like that. It's just that I don't think that that's what they were going for with the in terms of the execution of it. So I love that, like, interpretation. It is an interpretation I would actually really like to have for for myself personally. 
it's just when I actually watch it, it just kind of, I, I, I don't, I don't get that from what Peter Jackson has like given me, I guess. All right. That's fair. And also she's, she's really rad in the, in the second half of this movie when she, even if her helmet looks, makes her look like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. I've never considered that before. (laughs) It's because her nose disappears. So it makes it look like when she has that grimace, that like kind of like, e kind of face, um, she she looks like Wallace from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> Just imagine her charging into battle with Thank you for that mental image that will never go away. Oh, you're welcome. That's the meme. That's the meme. Um so so anyway, yeah. So uh, Jay, can you confirm the, the note I had was that I'm always reminded when Mary and Pippin split up that I've seen like bonus content about how the two actors were like physically upset when they had to not be on set together and do other scenes elsewhere because they had spent so long doing scenes with each other through this process. Yes, I believe that's true. I I don't remember specifically the conversation, so I can't be like, oh yes, what is this? Um, but like, it's like they're still friends and like hang out with each other and do stuff together all the time. They also like like were roomed together for the entirety of the process, and so it was like this like big ordeal. It was yeah, it was a whole thing. Well, I just it's it's serendipitous. It's not like they were trying to do any sort of method acting with them about like making their reunion better. But like it does it does. It's so interesting to me that you could take all that time with someone and then and develop that bond. And then it just is able to translate to the script so easily. Um, I, I, I find that story to be like one of one of the my favorite behind the scenes stories that I've heard is is the fact that they were just so inseparable that it was hard for them to actually do do separate arcs in this movie. Um, well, and I think it says something, too, about the way that this movie was shot that we that truly is out of the norm and that we don't really do, which is that this movie was shot over the course of many years. Yeah, like this they spent like almost a full year doing just the first movie, um, went home and then came back and shot the second two simultaneously over the course of, I think, another two years. Mm, I'd have to double check that. But it's like it was a long time. It was a it like it was a, a production schedule that truly is unheard of. So, like, I think it says something about what you're capable of doing when you take the time to do things right instead of doing things that are going to make the shareholders the most money. Yeah. Well, even then, like even comparing it to the most recent like epic that is, that was like infinity war and Endgame. Like I believe it still only took them a year to do those two movies um, because they were, but they were more easily able to just like, pop actors in and out because they were doing it in studios in London and there wasn't a lot of on location stuff. And so like in a way, like when you, when you choose to do it this way where it's all so practical and all the environmental shots and things like that, like it's, it's, it's crazy to think that like, yeah, it took double the amount of time to make these movies. Um, and, and it shows, um, but yeah. Uh, the whole, I'm, my next note is on the whole, like, Arwen convincing them to reforge the sword kind of thing. Um, 
And I'm kind of just like, look, I know you probably had your restrictions. I'm, I'm sure Tolkien has had his own restrictions. This is a this is a commentary on the actual story. I'm kind of like, look, she's an elf. She's been around for a very long time. Why can't she know how to forge the sword? I've never thought of that before. Right? Doesn't it make it so much more meaningful to her part in the story instead of just being like, Daddy, help! To literally be like, fuck it, fuck this, I don't want to, I'm not going to go off with all of you. And and she, and she Elrond's like, he's going to die. He might even die in this battle. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to make that not happen. And then goes and forges the fucking sword. And that doesn't happen. And I know that probably happens for a multitude of this was written in the, you know, the first half of the uh, two, 20th century vibes. But like, I'm like, oh, that's a better version. Yeah, that's, I agree with you. And that's never occurred to me. Especially since they never, to the best of my knowledge, specify like a single person who did it, which is actually quite unusual. A lot of times in Lord of the Rings, there's things like only this person could have made this thing, right? Exactly. You could have remade it the whole time. Why didn't we make it a long time ago? I think in the book, they just say like the elves of Rivendell do it. And like there's, I, I think it, story-wise it makes sense that they haven't done it up to this point but like you're absolutely right why could arwen not do it or like over even oversee the the reforging of it or yeah do it clandestinely introduce a very tiny character that we could all make fanfic about um of like oh no i gotta take it to i gotta take it to poggle swags and we're gonna do it and elrond's gonna catch me <laughs> like i would have i would have added a, i would have added 10 minutes to the movie for that kind of a thing sure it would give Arwen literally anything, anything, uh huh, anything. Oh wait, is is Pogglesswogs ju- is Pogglesswogs <laughs> like three four Casablancas? <laughs> shush. Is shush, he my new character? Shush. No, 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 no. Hey, no. hey, Pogglesswogs. Okay. Anyway, moving I'm- on. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna do this shit to me again. It took me. It took me three <laughs> three episodes to find my to find my franchise character, and uh. here he is. So hey, how's it going? Because right. genuinely, can I get some Lembus bread? Because I'm, I'm ignoring sorry. you. I because ate everything that you gave me. Genuinely, Jay, um, I would love I your input leaves. on They're this wrapped specifically. In as well. I am talking to my friend Jay, <laughs> <laughs> not Poggle Swags. Um, <laughs> oh, that's fine. You know, a lot of people don't no. talk to me. I'm down also board. not listening. So I don't know who you're doing this for. <laughs> me. For I'm himself. doing it for me. <laughs> but, well, we can wait if, you know, that. <laughs> yeah, I have no, the it's power all right. of editing we on actually, my side. We, are, we, are, we have so much more movie to talk about, and we're already like an hour in. Um, so, Jay, I genuinely would like your input on this whole Arwen shit. Yeah, so here's the thing that's kind of a bummer about Arwen is that she has more to her in the movie than she does in the book. Um, Arwen is more of a symbolic character than a character character in the books. She's sort of there as like an example of like high elfdom more than she is meant to like be a character. So you know, that's kind of just a bummer to start with, right? Is that you have this sweeping fantasy series and essentially in the books, you have one female character and it's Eowyn. So I think that for them to have even given 
her as much as they did in the movies is meaningful right the fact that they even gave her that like scene where she's leaving and then she sees the vision and then comes back and is like no i'm not going that's more than what she has in the books um so that's like i don't want to i don't want to gloss over that and be like oh they did her dirty because they did it really like they really looked at this and were like okay we've got to do we've got to do better than what was there that being said, there still could be more to do, but it, I think doing that means dismantling some pretty big ideas about masculinity, femininity, and what it means to be worthwhile of like, like a lot of what Arwen is and what she does is very femininely coded. It's about um making beautiful things it's about um being a poet and being well read and uh like very diplomatic and all these sorts of things that we just we simply don't value those things and especially in 2000 you know like we didn't have stories that like centered those kinds of things so there was there was some discussion when they were writing the script for the second and the third ones of like, what do we do to give her more? And there was actually a version of the script where she comes and fights at Helm's yeah. Deep and they decided to cut it, which I actually think was the right choice because there's not, like Arwen doesn't have the family history of being warriors, first of all. And second of all, it falls very much into that trap of in order for a female character to be interesting, she must be a fighter, which is not true. So I think in some ways they managed to sort of escape the worst of the traps without ever seeing the possibilities of like what they could have done more with. You know, that's my opinion. Yeah, I really. Yeah, you have. That's a really good point of like yeah the go-to thing to make women interesting should not always be just have them fight a lot um oh yeah you've said on other topics whenever we've talked about like strong female characters is that like a lot of times they just go well we're just gonna make her a man um <sighs> and that's not no and luckily that that doesn't that doesn't really happen with any of the women in lord of the rings luckily but there's only three examples so yeah but like genuinely it's just for me i'm like okay okay aragorn why arwen well here's a piece of information that you would never get from watching the movie they grew up together didn't they, they? grew up together yeah when you read the appendices which is a whole can of worms in and of itself sorry i had mine taken out they but i'm sh they basically are like best friends from childhood so like it makes a lot more sense in that context of like they've they kind of always just ran around making mischief together. Oh, so they make mischief. I, I, I mean, that's that's a strong word on my part, but like <laughs> they <laughs> like like they, like very specifically, like Aragorn grows up in Rivendell. So like you you can really imply a lot there without having to come out and say it of like. Yeah, okay, if somebody grew up with someone else, we can assume they have some sort of relationship, right? So, yeah, they could do more, they could do better. And also, that's like, 
I, I don't think it was a necessary part of the story originally. I think that, you know, they could have done better when they adapted it, but there you go. Because genuinely, I just, I would like some traits. I would like some traits, please, sir. Um, For Arwen and for Arwen and Aragorn's relationship, because the most actual characterization, and I have said this before in the first episode on this, uh, on Fellowship, where, like, the most characterization I have for their entire relationship is when literally she has her first line in the entire, in the entire series, which is like, what's this? A ranger cut off his guard, and there's that, like, look that Aragorn gives to her off screen. That's, like, the most I ever get in terms of, like, what is their banter like? What is their vibe like as a couple? Everything else is just stereotypical fantasy of just like, oh yes, fine upstanding man and fair maiden and they have poor Liv Tyler just whisper speaking like all of her lines and then she kind of whisper speaks a lot in The Incredible Hulk too and it's just like, I've never seen Liv Tyler in an in a role that actually lets her do anything, like act. <laughs> Like, she cries a lot. The, the reason for that, and, like, I'm not saying it's a good reason. I'm just saying this is the reason, is right. because their relationship was never meant to be centered. It was meant, like, the character and the relationship were meant to be symbolic of having something worth fighting for, basically. It's like having this, Girl, like, like a home to come home to. And and also, like, she's sort of symbolic of, like, this passing of, like, ages and that, like, she is the last of elven kind left in Middle-earth. And so this sort of, like, bittersweet change of, like, you know, like, like, I, I it always makes me think of um, women of of like soldiers when the soldiers come home from war but then they still die before their wives do and then they still have the remainder of their lives like yeah like we got through this and we got like i got got this back but like now the rest of my life is in front of me and i think in that context the symbol is like almost more important than the character especially at the time that it was written and now we just have slightly different standards for characters and for relationships. And, and I think that it would have done them some good and would do them good in the future if there was an, ever another adaptation of this to examine that a little bit closer and do a little bit more with it because we really don't do like characters as symbols anymore. So like, that's, that's my take on that. Like, yeah, the closest we get to a character as a symbol is Steve Rogers. Well, yeah, and, like, Steve is, you know, but Steve has other things. Like, you could point to Superman, you could point to Goku, like, like there are a bunch of examples of, like, that's just a flat character arc. Like, yeah, he's a symbol for America and the best of us as humanity and all that stuff. But then, you know, that's also, like, there's that's an archetype in and of itself. So, thankfully, Steve doesn't get, you know objectified horrifically in the way that a lot of women have tended to in the past. But genuinely, for me, a way to kill two birds very easily, 
at least a little, at least to start like on a good, on a better path is to just genuinely have a nice scene with Eowyn and Aragorn where Eowyn genuinely asks about Arwen and then Aragorn actually talks about her, talks about Should they do it genuinely? I mean, when I say genuinely in this context, I mean not with the tinge of like romantic tension. Like it is two people having a fucking conversation. Shippers get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like No, I agree. They could have just that that conversation in the second movie where like he mentions Arwen could very easily have added even just a couple of lines of dialogue. Yeah. To give us a little bit more insight. That being said, I also like, I don't think it's a great weakness of the film. I think it's just something that if you had infinite time and resources, you could improve upon. And like, that's fine. Like, I'm willing to accept it for what it is, given the fact that like this, this is the fantasy trope, right? Like, this is the thing where fantasy tropes come from. And so... Like, I'm willing to overlook that a little bit in this instance. So let's go to Minas Tirith. Uh, Fucking gorgeous. Always have thought that that city is just fucking gorgeous. I love how they created that. Um, We're literally still at the point where Gandalf is walking into Denethor's throne room and looking at uh, Pippin and going, well, maybe you shouldn't say anything about that. Okay, well, you maybe shouldn't say anything about that. Um, (laughs) Oh, But, but I mean, it's a, it's fine. There are some, I mean, we're not going to, there's not much to say about the battles. Um, it's, I I just, uh, the note I had is I find it funny. The note is that I like, I like that sequence. And when he says it's better if you just don't speak at all, Peregrine took, um, which is great. And then of course it sets it up perfectly to go, Nope, he's going to say something. It's perfect. Um, so yeah. Um, and then I, you know, my next thing is about lighting the beacons. Anybody got anything? Fuck Denethor. Yeah, yeah, fuck Denethor. Denethor. Always fuck Denethor. No one should fuck Denethor. Someone did. <laughs> they twice. did. Um, Poor woman. Twice. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Um, we won't get we won't get into that. Um, the dumb joke I wrote down is when regarding the beacon, I was like, oh, is this what boomers mean when they talk about life before cell phones? Um it was it's a bad joke. Moving on. Um Speaking of literally bad jokes, like, who do you think is greasier, Denethor or Snape? Denethor. Denethor. <laughs> Literally, okay. Denethor covers himself in oil. So there's not yeah. a character anywhere in the world that I hate more than I hate Denethor. Like you could throw all of the worst villains of fiction at me all day long, and I would still tell you that I hate Denethor more. Yeah, it's fine. Um, literally, like <laughs> here's the thing: is that like the ending and the beginning and then like a few things in the middle are like where my most of my notes are the rest of it. I'm like, we're, we're going to skip long arcs of this movie. Cause the next thing I got is like when the battle is finally starting and they see the orcs in the distance. And I just got this reminiscence of like when the soldiers, I, the Gondorian soldiers are such wimps to me. Is that intentional? Yes. Like by comparison to Rohan and every other person who's fought, they are like they have the shiniest, like cleanest armor and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. So here's the thing that we skipped is Denethor telling Faramir to ride out and retake Osgiliath, which is 
That's right. Yes, I didn't talk about that. And we know this because they talk about it in the first movie that Minas Tirith has been holding the line of Mordor for time out of mind. So like, yeah, like the soldiers of Rohan have got it going on. They also haven't been on the front lines of battle for generations. So like Minas Tirith is a city in decline. And that's a thing that I think they they do a pretty good job of showing us like with the tree and with like the ruins of Osgiliath and with all these things of like Minas Tirith is on their last legs. Like they've been doing this so long that that like only the fact that there's no one else is what keeps them from giving up. So like, yeah, they do get like those soldiers do die a lot more. And also it's because Denethor keeps sending them to do all these vainglory things instead of staying in the city and protecting what they have. And again, we're coming back to that theme of like, the point isn't winning battles and bringing honor upon your name. Like only a madman and a fool would think that the point is defending the people who live in your city. Well, it, it, the, the reminiscence, the, the reminiscence then is going to be more poignant when you say that is because like there, it, it just shows how deluded they are under Denethor when the soldiers are like, Denethor predicted this would happen. And Gandalf turns to them and said, and he did nothing. Um, and to me, it was just reminiscent of a certain political party in the United States. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I also, also on that note, having watched the extended edition, the amount of the deleted flashbacks with Boromir being the, the, the special, like the, the favorite son when, when he's ordering Faramir out of the city, uh, just like all those deleted scenes, I was like, Oh damn it. I'm missing so much. I don't get to do, I don't get to really connect with, with Faramir as much because that did a lot for me when I watched the extended to see that father and two sons relationship. Um, and it rounded him out so much more for me. I agree. I think if there was a character that Lord of the Rings did dirty, it, it's, it is actually Faramir for two reasons. One, because they cut all that out. They cut out all the stuff about how Faramir like, like studied under Gandalf and, the, and like all of these things. And they also make a very important change, which again, this is in the second movie, not the third one. Or is it? Is it in the third one? Whatever. I can't remember. Where um, when Faramir encounters Frodo and Sam, he starts out by taking them to Osgiliath as though to bring the ring back to his father, which in the books, it's actually very important that he doesn't do that because what how that goes down is he sees that Frodo has something, feels the pull and the temptation of it and goes, oh, I better not touch that with a 10 foot pole. Because if it killed my brother, it would kill me too. And like, he makes the better choice. Yeah, they don't give him the space to do that at all. They don't, and I don't understand why they add that whole thing. They they add this whole subplot where he does this and it, it, the only thing it does is detract from his character. So I'm not crazy. It makes him Boromir too. you're not crazy. It detracts from Boromir, it detracts from him. And then it like adds this weird beat that doesn't need to be there i think that what they were trying to do was like make sam and frodo's journey more interesting but they didn't need to do that they could have saved some of that time for other things and it's like you've you've just sabotaged one of your most important characters to accomplish something that wasn't important and now it's biting you in the ass in this movie because instead of seeing that person 
you're seeing this person who like was kind of corrupted by the ring also. And it's like, I just, that's, that's actually my one big complaint with Lord of the Rings overall. There's a lot of little things that I'm like, oh yeah, we could quibble about that. My real complaint is their treatment of Faramir's character. I can't believe, like, I'm, I feel, I feel so justified for once. (laughs) You absolutely should. I genuinely, one of my notes that I didn't really say last time around about Two Towers was that, like, why do we have to go through the whole Faramir trying to take the ring? Because we literally just did that with his brother in the previous movie. Yeah, I think I said it. also, it would have made, it would, yeah, it would have made Faramir, like, feel so much better and more honorable so that when we yeah. meet Denethor, we are extra like, fuck this guy. Yeah. Ugh. It would have made Faramir immediately more endearing. Yes. In the Ugh. way that the flashbacks and the extended of this do. Yes. And the other thing it does is it reminds us that the only way to win when it comes to the ring is to not interact with it. Right. It reminds us that this is a thing like that Twitter. is corrupting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it reminds us like nobody is so good that they're not affected. And the best thing you can do is opt out before you ever have a chance to opt in. And like, so they just, they, they missed out on a lot of opportunities in one go by making this one very weird, very bad choice. It would have put Faramir on the same plane as Aragorn. Yeah, which he is like, he very specifically is meant to be like. Well, yeah, because doesn't he end up with, he doesn't, he actually end up with Eowyn? Yeah, and they go yeah. and like retake Osgiliath and Minas Morgul. It's like a whole thing. He like he is meant to serve some of the same purpose of Aragorn of like reminding us that there is still good in in people and that like there are people who are willing to do the work of like keeping the world safe and like whether it's glamorous or not like there's a whole there's like so many things with his character that they just demolished with that one choice so yeah, I agree. For what it's worth, me me knowing the least about Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> I mean, so Pippin's so Pippin's song, mm-hmm. is good. Tell me about it. He wrote it for one thing. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. So the fun fact: the in the first movie. Gandalf is walking away from Bilbo's door and he sings a little ditty. He says, the road goes ever on and on down from the door where it began. It's actually the same lyrics. So those that those lyrics and the lyrics that Pippin sings are actually part of the same song. Um, and it, it is in the first book. It is um, one of the walking songs that the hobbits sing as they're leaving the Shire. Um, and so Tolkien and his songs. Yeah, they'd had it on the back burner for a while, kind of wanting to use these lyrics, not knowing if it was going to fit, et cetera, et cetera. And basically what happened is that the day of filming, Philip Aboyan, or yeah, I think it was Philip Aboyan, handed him the lyrics and said, can you can you just just sing a little something and we'll go back and fix it in post? Basically, it was like, well, we'll like we'll we'll change the music later, just sing a little something. And then the song that he wrote was the one that you hear in the movie. Um, so like that's well, kind damn. of a, a, a cool tidbit and also is another great opportunity to drive home 
the reason that hobbits exist is because they are the example of like like the only thing that matters is the small everyday choices we make right like it's not about glory it's not about power it's about caring for your strawberries in the summer and singing songs at over the dinner table and like those are the things that make life important and then to take that and for him to you know be able to look at Denethor and say I don't have anything for for grand halls right like this like I just have a walking song and I guess I'll just sing it you know it's like this beautiful juxtaposition and this beautiful reminder that yeah, the hobbits don't really belong in Minas Tirith because Minas Tirith is a place that has been all about glory and honor and, and you know, who you're descended from and, and all these things. And that's why, that's why they're better, you know, is that, like, they're not involved with all of that. And, you know, just, like, the yeah. whole way it's done is so beautiful and so powerful. Well, I mean, even if even if people don't know that backstory you do get a sense of like the forebodingness of the like the simple song over the foreboding coming nature and the extreme close-ups of denethor's mouth as he grossly eats his dinner alone um just makes you feel like oh um they do a great job of making that guy look like absolute shit um so yeah that's that's all i just wrote pippin's song because i was like ah we gotta talk about that um, yeah, I, I, I like, kind of, yeah, I kind of personally think that might be the best piece of just that sequence might be the best piece of filmmaking all told since maybe what the helicopter shot at the end of fellowship, probably I'd say it's the, it's the best sequence that they have in the entire series. Yeah. All like from music to editing, to cinematography, to pacing, to acting like it is just chef's kiss in terms of like everything was dialed up to 11 mm-hmm. for like max catharsis so good um i really like aon and mary's relationship in this mm-hmm. yeah not much else to say about it um good. and r- remind me there's a point where like are we see arwen again and she like passes out right yeah, yeah they do like a weird thing where they try to imply that she has died but like right. I don't know why they do that because she hasn't. There's no point in like half fridging her. Yeah. Because then, then they show up an image of him as if he like felt it or something like that. And I was yeah, like, yeah, he, he no drops point. the even star. Yeah. And it like shatters, and so he's like, oh no, like she must be gone. Like, but like I don't know why they did that. They could have just not done that, and it would have been fine. But whatever. Do you think it maybe would have been too much? to maybe have them sort of have mental conversations sporadically throughout the movies. Yes. Yeah. Could yes. Have been too much. Especially because then you get into weird questions. Like if telepathy, like if telepathy is real in this world, why are we having these problems? Like, well, Galadriel definitely has telepathy. Only with, uh, within specific distances though. Didn't she like talk to Elrond? across like miles in the previous okay yes also they're related which is not a thing you would know but like i think if arwen and aragorn are having telepathic conversation like that ends up then so should like frodo and gandalf yeah oh i thought would i thought it would be like an elven thing i I think the like 
I think even the like dream sequence that he has in the second one is pushing it a little bit. Right. Honestly, but that's just my opinion. I'm going way out on a limb here. The fact that there are two different uh, groups of characters going into tunnels at the same time, I'm like, mm, you know, for all the masculinity being thrown around, it's very Yonic that they all go into tunnels in this movie. Yeah. Yep. Um, can I tell you one of my biggest complaints that is not really a complaint about the movie? I just think it's dumb. The Path of Kirithongal. So we all know Token, big into languages, right? Developed like a bunch of different languages for this. Uh, you know, they're talking to the Faramir and he's like, well, there's something in that past. We don't know what it is. Kirithongal is, lang- is in a language that Faramir would speak. And it literally translates to the path of the spider. He couldn't have given him a heads up. Like, oh, there's this evil past that has a monster lurking in it, but we don't know what it, it's a spider. Like, I, it doesn't take a genius. What the fuck? So anyway, there you go. I that that makes me <laughs> mad every time. It's so stupid. Why would he not know that? God, he's almost he's almost uh, sliding into the path of a of a Joanne there. Okay. All right. Calling things just very blatant names that it's just like. Nope, well, he did make a language people. before he said it. So let's let's not go that far. Um, well, I'll go that far. <laughs> I feel like the you will suffer me part is badass. Um, yeah. I like I like when he tells off the ghosts. I think it's perfect. Um, I will say, like, there's a lot of moments where, like, I know the villains are supposed to be foreboding because that's just kind of how fantasy is and like they're they're always kind of looming and and they're gross looking and all that stuff one thing that actually made me go oh shit this is actually like kind of a kind of a a gnarly villain was the release the prisoners moment oh yeah where they launch the heads like that was that that i forgot about that and when i saw that i was like That is that that shows this this guy's different. These guys are a little bit different. Um, my next note was Denethor, you mopey bitch and your bitch army. Never going to stop taking a chance to say it. Um, but it's also just dumb because, like, again, you say that they're like on their last leg. But on the flip side, I'm like, look, those trebuchets are really fucking powerful, but they just like don't use them in time. I'm like, if you have the ammunition, like, start throwing it at them real early. They don't have enough people to man them, though. Okay, all right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and I feel like that one's justified because, like, they also just had a scene where they sent their army out and lost all of them to farming. So, like, they're like, they show us that they're fucked up and undermanned. Okay, all right, okay. Um, I skipped all of the actual spider stuff. Just FYI, I don't know if anybody wants to say anything else on that, but I fully skipped it. Giant spiders are disgusting. I need people to stop using them. Correct. Um, This also also is the reason they use them, though, is because Tolkien personally believed that spiders were the worst. Uh, He wrote the first ever fantasy novel and everyone went sick. Yeah, spiders real creepy. That's where that trope came from. And honestly, I'm never going to forgive him for it. Yeah. Uh, Also, if you write something to be a giant spider queen. How about you keep it a giant spider queen, WB Games? Shelob is not a sexy lady. Wait, what happened? Yeah, that was a thing in those, like, uh, 
Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War game, they made Shelob a sexy lady. Yeah. And one line I love from Overly uh, overly Sarcastic Productions read was like, Tolkien's crippling arachnophobia did not die for this. (laughs) 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 I was just like, yeah, I feel that. (laughs) Oh, God, Um, so stupid. When Denethor starts to... Starts the process of burning Faramir. All I could think of was John Mulaney's Bury the Boy. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, all right. Burn the boy, Bury burn the boy. The boy. <laughs> <laughs> burn the boy. Burn them, burn them. We're not going to burn them. We never burned anybody. <laughs> I don't care if you don't uh, get that one. That one's for me. <laughs> I'm okay. so happy for you. Uh, That's like when 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 Rohan shows up and Theoden screams death over and over and over again, I was just like, this is kind of funny. <laughs> the speech <laughs> before that is so fucking good. And again, it's one of those yeah. like iconic ones that they sort of replaced. Oh, I love the 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 Red Dawn speech. It's just it's very good. If there's something Token was real good at, it was prose. Brevity, not so much. Prose, yes. Um. So more throughout the battle, you have you have Pippin kind of going in and out of the Citadel over and over again to talk to Gandalf. And they have that conversation about death. And uh, and I just I couldn't help myself when I wrote this note. Um, Gandalf is like, you know, it all turns to silver glass and then you see it. And Pippin goes, see what? And in my note, I went big heck and titties because um, <laughs> that's what I wanted him to say. Um but that's not what he says. He says something far more inspiring. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to help you with that one. Uh, I'm sure I could find a way. I, technology's pretty good. I could probably find a way to make Gandalf say big heckin' titties. Um, <laughs> am I being disrespectful right now? I don't think no, I am. No, you're fine. Um, I just like I just don't know what to do with that as a reaction. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be there's plenty of moments where they say really deep shit, especially like the Sam's monologue at the end of two towers where I like I sit and I go, I acknowledge this. This is important. And in this case, I'm just like, I just wanted him to say titties. I really did. Um, All right. This is not cards uh, against humanity, Trevor. uh, Thank God. Honestly, Um, the next thing I just the next thing of note that I have is the I am no man. That's the moment you remember earlier when I was like, I was in silent reading time and I got excited and I got in trouble because I spoke out loud. That was the moment. Worth it. Uh, Absolutely worth it. Fundamental to me as a human, like just like as a human person, the fact that that character existed, that I had never encountered anything like that before, that she has a moment like that. All of those things combined to make me the person who I am today. Um, so that's, yeah, I cannot overstate how important that is to me. You got to note that like this, you, you know, that Tolkien took that straight out of, took a different road with it, but took that straight out of Macbeth. Yes. That's, that's, that was the moment that he like went and saw Macbeth and was like, well, a a woman like Lady Macbeth could have just done it. This is dumb. And that's where like the the character was initially conceived of for that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely feels like <laughs> they, they kind of just created this 
one character to have this This is one why you're here. Death. <laughs> you why was I born? You were born to die, son. <laughs> um but I I love I love in fiction when women love being women. I think the whole trope of women refusing femininity is a little overrated and overused. Like I j- I I love that when like Women, when women can al- can be allowed to just be like, no, I'm also a, a lady. I'm just a badass as well. That can happen. <laughs> yes. Like uh, Suki in Avatar. Yes. And this leads me to one of my other very favorite parts of this entire movie, which, again, gets cut out of the theatrical edition, which is the... Um, Eowyn and Aragorn in the Halls of Healing, followed then by Eowyn and Farmir in the Halls of Healing. There is a line from the book that doesn't translate literally into the movie, but there is a scene that the scene that the line is from does, um, which is that so Eowyn and Farmir are looking out sort of over the, the the battlefield after the battle has passed, they've both been sort of benched, you know, for this final battle. And at first, Eowyn's like, no, I want to go fight, you know, like, but she has this conversation with Faramir and is reminded of like, there's rebuilding that's going to need to be done after we win this fight, you know, and like spring is coming and like all of these moments kind of culminate and the line is, and then her heart changed, or at least she understood it. And that is, I think, the only moment we get in the entire series where a character changes their mind about how they feel about war and glory and realizes that that's not actually what they want, only that they're willing to do it in order to keep people safe. Like, that's the only moment we see that happen. And it's so good and it's so beautiful and the whole like the whole arc for her just culminates so well i love it despite we talked a lot about the southwest asian stereotypes but despite that legolas taking down the uh, elephant is fucking badass um and i love that it still only counts as one and that they still maintain that these competitive gays um love it um so i'm skipping to i'm skipping to the tower where frodo is coming out of his coma um and sam finally like makes his way up which is like a fantastic scene like sam's shadow scaring them and then him showing up and they're like aha and then he kicks their asses fantastic um but like sam has the ring and he has a moment of whether or not he's going to give it to him but frodo's looking at him with such disdain that he would have taken it in the first place and the reason he gives after he puts it on is like sam it would have destroyed you and i'm kind of like i mean frodo He's had it for a little bit, and it doesn't seem to be doing a very good job of destroying him. But you, on the other hand, have been destroyed from, like, about a third into your journey with it. So, like, fuck off, maybe? Yeah. It's a it's a genuine, it's a good question of, like, I wonder what would have happened if Sam either had the ring for more of the time, or if they had done a, like, a... Uh, switching off, kind of taking in shifts type of thing or whatever. Well, if they don't, if they ever did that, then no one would be able to make the argument because it probably would have changed things and no one would be able to make the argument of like, Samwise Gamgee is the only ring bearer to willingly give up the ring. And I'm kind of like, eh, that's not entirely true. 
Um, and then there's a whole Tom Bombadil thing, which we will not talk about. Nope. No. We don't have time. Uh, nor do I really have that much interest in it. So here's the the complaint I have about the scene <laughs> and the reason it doesn't land is, and I'm going to say this, people are going to be mad at me about it. I don't really like Sean Astin, Sam. Interesting. Okay. Um, there's a lot of moments where he plays things as like aggressive. Yeah, that was the thing we talked yeah, about last Yeah, that week. was the thing we talked about that last don't time. don't need to be that way. And I think that in that context, like if you... If that's who that character is, then yeah, I do think the ring would have destroyed him eventually because if you have that in you, the ring is going to amplify it, right? And for Frodo, he he has not a not an aggressive bone in his body and it takes months of traveling to start to be like suspicious and scared. Right? So like but also I think the whole the series as a better would have done better if Sean Astin didn't play Sam that way. Well, I mean, as an actor, I would never put all that on the actor themselves. I know that the director plays a huge part in how uh, portrayals will come off, as well as the editing, because there will sometimes be times where you play scenes completely different, and it's just up to the director and the editor, like, what actually gets seen. Yeah. But... Like I, I have thought about this ever. I didn't. I don't know if I brought it up in the last episode, but I definitely have thought about like, I wonder what happens to the story if you kind of more or less just switch Sam and Frodo's personalities. In that, because I never really got the sense that Frodo quote never had a bad bone in his body, but I mean it tracks, I guess. But the person I always would have described that way was Sam. I would have always said after Fellowship, yeah, Sam is the nice one. Sam is Sam's the loyal a bitch. One. Well, <laughs> like he's so rude to everyone all the time. I'm not saying that's a bad I... trait. I'm just saying that's not what I expect out of Sam. In a way, Sam kind of has to be, like, to be the best. You've friend. got Nut Farmer Maggot's crops again, like. Come on, my guy. Well, he's I mean, he's a little Ron Weasley in that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, the actual Ron that should have been put to screen. Yes. The the good Ron, not whatever the fuck they did to Ron post like Chamber of Secrets. I oh, God. Oh, yeah. That implies not. It doesn't include it. No. Post Sorcerer's Stone. Like if we start talking about Harry Potter right now, I'm going to lose my fucking mind. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, <laughs> but but speaking of speaking of Frodo, like when Frodo gets ca- almost caught by the Eye of Sauron, and he does that like slow motion drop, just the way his legs are and the way he's flinging his head back, I was like, oh yeah, no, this belongs on Drag Race. Um, that drop belongs on Drag Race. <laughs> All right, that's fair. <laughs> I'll accept it. But yeah, and then like everything else from here on in is like just very specific uh, notable things whenever they were talking about being a diversion i couldn't help but think of the meme from moana of oh she's taking a rock and covered it in bioluminous algae as a diversion and i was like oh they've taken all the men and covered them in plot armor as a diversion yep (laughs) correct because you know they're not gonna die this also kind of comes back to like the question you asked me at the beginning of the episode, which is why is the Pelantir important? It's 
the thing that they never say is so that Sauron thinks the ring is in Minas Tirith for as long as possible. Basically, yeah. is they the like they say it once, and then you know once once that kind of gets blown, then Aragorn has to do his whole "I'm coming to you, bitch" thing, which is fine. Yeah. Well. So, uh, again, with more things I miss from the extended, I miss the negotiator guy. Oh, yeah, the creeper? Yeah. Is he not in the theatrical version? No. I literally have no idea what you're talking about. It's okay, then we'll skip past it. Maybe I'll send it to you afterwards. But it's just this weird fucking guy that does this talk back and forth, like like pre-battle, not negotiation, but pre-battle, like meeting of the heads of armies talk. And And he's just creepy. And he tries to be like, ha, we already killed Frodo. Look, we have the chain shirt that he was wearing. And then they're like, uh, and basically then they're like, well, either they've killed him or they have it. But either way, we we got to do what we came here to do. Right. Once again, Tolkien, uh, the whole point of it is when one of the main interactions that is the whole point of it is I never thought I'd die side by side with an elf. What about side by side with a friend? I, I can do that. Yeah. So good. Wait a minute. Is Frodo not wearing the? No, they they take it um, when when they he's undressed. Him. Yeah, he's not wearing it before then. He is no, he's wearing he it when when Shelob wraps him up, and then they take him to the tower How and they take all stabbed? of his stuff. What do you mean? He, it, it was in the butt. Shelob? Yeah, I think it was in the butt. I, it was. It's like in the neck or something. It's like somewhere where the meat yeah. wasn't. I don't know. I don't watch that scene usually because fuck giant spider. Frodo gets stabbed a lot. <laughs> Moving on. Um, <laughs> Frodo is just a meat bag. Like, honestly, like the story would be slightly more cohesive if everybody, if he, Frodo had volunteered and everybody looked around and gone, okay, well, that ring is definitely going to corrupt him. So we just need to get him physically there and let him absorb all the evil and then we'll work around it. Okay. We all clear on that. Great. I mean, that's kind of the point. The Like, kind yeah. of the point of Frodo is that he's just a dude. That's. People have a lot of criticisms about that. They're like, Frodo's not that interesting. He's not like a real character. And Tolkien was like, yeah, he's just a guy. Well, I am going back on, I am going back on some comments because I very much like uh, applaud the moment in fellowship where he does stand up and choose to do it because I am very big on one of the themes being the smallest of people can make the biggest of difference. Um, And that's such a huge thing about hobbits for me. That's why I love hobbits as a, as a class of, of people um, is, is because of that, that notion and what they value, um, while the world has all these larger gears turning, what they value can then still be a part of the larger world. Um, so I'm going back on it to say that, but like, yeah, he does, he does end up being kind of a meat bag, especially when, when, you know, when, uh, when Stanley Yelnats, you know, carries Madame Zeroni up the mountain. Um, he's, cause it's, like, he's really just like, he can't move, he can't go on. So Sam carries him and Okay. He just had to do it again. <laughs> I did. I wanted to make sure it landed. His um, name is Zero. <laughs> well, sorry. No, it's Elia Yelnats who carry who never carried Madame Zeroni up the mountain. Um, but yes, Zero. Hector Zeroni. Um, oh my God, Mister Sir. We have to cover that movie. I love Holes. Um, Holes is a great piece of childhood. Uh, yeah, so the, I love the four Frodo moment and Merry and Pippin being the first charge into battle with Aragorn um, is a great shot for me. Um, 
and like there's some really great shots <laughs> throughout these endings but like i want to just take the uh, if the, there's one big thing that we talk about towards the end here i want to talk about the fact that like after everything we've been through frodo fails yeah yeah i uh, hmm. i'm okay with him failing but i just want to talk about it it's one of my favorite things actually about the entire series is this this combination of frodo fails to do the thing but actually he doesn't and the reason why is because the choice to leave Gollum alive so many times is such a deliberate choice. They talk about it in the first movie, they bring it full circle in the third one, where basically Frodo's like, well, why didn't Bilbo kill him when he had a chance? What a pity. And Gandalf's like, yeah, pity is what stayed his hand. Like the, the, the choice to not kill someone that you find repulsive and having that then be the thing that makes it possible for him to finish the quest is so good to me that like it would have been easier, safer, and frankly, better for them to have killed Gollum when they had a chance, but they would have paid the price down the road. I just think that's great. I acknowledge that. I just think ultimately Frodo is not... Frodo is not the character that I will ever pick. I think I'll put it that way. Like, I love paragons. I love people that are exceedingly stubborn and are about, like, no, we are not going to do it this way. We are going to do it this way because it's the right thing to do, even if it's way hard. So, like, yeah. Like, Chris Evans' version of Captain America is actually like, yeah. I did. Why can't we have more fucking people like this shit? Like, you know, we have not really gotten to Last Jedi yet, but genuinely, Ray from like, I think more specifically in The Last Jedi, is also kind of in that vein of. You know, she does a really, really, really stupid thing that nobody else would do, but it's because she genuinely is like, no, if I can save this guy, I'm going to go try. Like, I like that. I genuinely love when characters are sincerely, genuinely, just unabashedly just like, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing. That's why I really liked when Frodo elected to take the ring in the first movie, and it's why... It's just, it's why I struggle to really like the fact that he still fails, I guess. Because it gives me this overwhelming feeling of like, oh, well, then, yeah. I mean, he's kind of no better than anybody else. I Okay. I for mean, me, for me, it's the that the ring still won against him. Like, he never beat the ring. Yeah, and I get that it probably was made in the fictional universe that, like, well, physically nobody is going to beat the ring. Like, I kind of get that. I also think in terms of the story, he was never supposed to beat the ring. Like, the ring wasn't a thing that you beat. The ring was a thing you tried to survive and hoped that the choices you made along the way made it possible for you to, to, like, get it done. Because, like... 
Tolkien talks a lot about how like Lord of the Rings isn't an analogy for anything, right? It's not like analogous for World War II or nuclear power or anything like that. But it is very much a story about war and power. And he never intended for Frodo to be able to hold that kind of power and win against it because you can't do that. All you can do is survive and hope that when the time comes, you can either give it up or someone can take it from you. But if you've had it long enough, you're not going to give it up. And for that to be okay, I think is very meaningful. I think for, for it to end up being the fact that like, Frodo couldn't make it up the mountain on his own. Like somebody else had to carry him. And then when the moment came, he couldn't do it and it had to be forced out of his hands. And that's, that's like, that can still turn out okay. Like we don't have to make every right choice every time. You just do your best with what you have. And that it, it, it's not up to one person. It's up to many people. Like the whole thing falls apart if you don't have Sam, if you don't have Aragorn and Merry and Pippin. Like the whole thing falls apart if you don't have Gollum. You, it's so much about how you can't do, you can't make big changes on your own. People have to do it together because you're gonna falter and you're gonna fail and you're gonna make the wrong choice. You know, like I just, it feels. It feels like Frodo being able to do it is the comforting version of the story rather than the real one. At least how that's how it feels to me. Yeah, I think and this is why we ask you to be on the podcast. Yeah, I think personally, I really like your inter- your initial interpretation of like, I think that's how I will kind of take my reading of the ending to return from now on. Is just like, yeah, it's the decisions along the way and the fact that you know it was con- his continuous mercy i mean even if it was every now and again maybe now for the best of reason but like you know his mercy towards gollum ultimately comes back to pay back in the end uh i really like i really like that uh vibe and i think i like the vibe of you know i th- yeah i think it's only me circa 2020, 2022 current year argument that I've seen way too many of these fucking stupid, dumbass, meaningless sacrifices by men in movies that is just like, oh my God, get the fuck over it already by these writers that I'm finally, I'm like, yes, thank you. Where Sam looks at Frodo, he under, he knows that look. He's like, don't you fucking let go of that fucking thing. No, no, no. We're not. This is not that story. You grab my fucking hand. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Don't you dare let go. But I, oh, I'm like, thank God he didn't let go. I would have hated that shit. That, yeah. <laughs> but more importantly, the struggle with Gollum and the falling and disintegrating shots at the end. Like the shot of Gollum with the ring in his fingers as he then as the ground then crumbles like just holds up so well and so well put together in that climactic moment of the series yeah he should have done a thumbs up what <laughs> it's a ter- it's a terminator 2 reference <laughs> oh well, on that same note, I know it's also a big triumphant moment, the series of all of Mordor falling apart and uh, 
the the tower starting to fall but especially with the eye looking around like what's going on the only thing i thought of is i just i put david hyde pierce's voice with the tower is like excuse me someone help me i am falling um which is all i thought of the entire time it was falling um but yeah so let's cue the five endings well i think the joke about there's a million endings only works with the extended edition because in my version i'm like oh that actually wasn't that bad <laughs> i it mean still i fast forwarded through a bunch of it's, it but <laughs> it's it's at least four endings in the non-extended it's the reunion in rivendell the coronation the closing of the book not to be an asshole it it is actually a reunion in minas tirith oh whatever because then they do um, the coronation there you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But right, I did right. fast forward through that because it's too much of a meme for me to take seriously. Yeah, the whole the whole it's 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 the, the pro- my problem with the reunion scene. It's it's like it's a little too saccharine. It's like yeah. I know it's spent mo- sp- supposed to be joyous that we can all be reunited again at the end of this thing. But it's like it's literally in the lighting, the way they light it. It's saccharine. And I'm like, ah, OK. And also, I just as a as an actor, I'm like, I can't imagine keeping up that level of giggly kind of cheesy enjoyment for like 17 takes. Yeah. Like that's so saccharine. At Um, some point it just starts to become a little sarcastic. Right. For me as an actor. I do think you still need that scene. Like, I think if you skip straight to any of the other things you, you fucked up, but like they could have done that better and yeah. shorter and and had it work the way they wanted it to a little bit better well also it's one of those things where like they're very the, their faces are very like wow when i'm like look if that was me and my friends and we'd been through that i'd be holding them for dear life in tears and like that to me is a more powerful like reunion than oh oh boy which is what it feels like oh you mean like what they do literally at the actual ending that's well, gonna have to be more specific than that. Well, when he gets no no on uh, yeah ship. he's talking about the boat. He's oh, talking okay, about the yes. boat. Yeah, um, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the boat last. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, during the coronation, Elrond looks like such a proud papa. Um, like he does look like he is literally giving his daughter away at her wedding. Um, and so the only thing about the coronation that's no of note to me, Julian, do you have anything before the hobbits show up? I like it. That's all. okay the you bow to no one makes me cry every time it's so important and the way that he looks at him he's like no 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 we owe you you did this as much as everyone else contributed you did this you you bow to no one you are equals here and that that sets such a great tone for everything that's happened and the way that the, all the all the bullshit, the bullshit on the side of good that you have to get through to actually fight evil. Um, it's it's one of the most important lines in the entire DM series for me. It kind of makes me not like them going back to the Shire a little bit. Like like you feel like they should have all had different jobs throughout the kingdom. It's just kind of like they're so loved and respected there, and then they go back home, and then they're just kind of regular fuckwits. <laughs> Yeah, the Shire is a little bit ignorant. <laughs> and that's where In I'm that like, I, I get why Frodo leaves, but then I don't, I, I kind of get why Sam stays. But then for Merry and Pippin, I'm also like, I mean, surely, 
one like you could go to Rohan or like Mid- what if like I told Gondor you that the solution or... to that is one of the many additional endings that they didn't put in the movie? <laughs> yeah, it's the whole they got to go back to the Shire and fix those things kind of thing. Well, no, but there's even like they talk about in the additional endings that like for the rest of their lives, Mary and Pippin regularly go visit and like do things. And then they like become like leaders in the Shire. And there's like a whole, they have like these whole rich lives afterwards that you never really get to see. But I also think it's a disservice to hobbits to think that they would want that or be happy with that. Like one of the the things about hobbits that that is important and that we love is that they don't like they care about the small things and their their day to day lives and like they don't want or need or crave like respect and dignity and meaningful jobs like they just want to live out their lives and like drink tea and grow a garden like that's that's important and I think if you change it now so that they don't go back you you end up telling a story about like oh well if those people only knew what options were out there they would want it rather than oh oh no i i okay yeah let me let me clarify let me rephrase that i don't yeah i like that they go back to the shire i just don't like the idea and now you've told me more so that that's not really the case anymore but i don't like the idea of them like just staying in the shire static forever after this like where because like yeah they made a bunch of friends all over the place like yeah i'm sure mary would want to visit eowyn every now and then and pippin would want to check in on gondor probably like the leaders come and visit them is like a thing that happens as well so it's one of those things where it's like yeah that's there but already one of the complaints that people have is too many endings so like i would be happy if they put that in Right. Like, I I would love to see that. But I also love all of the endings. So, like, say lovey. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk about the boat again. Another moment that makes me cry. What does he have to say about the boat? Well, I just like I just like that Bilbo says he's once again says he's ready for another adventure because death isn't the end. Um, And. I, I just it just it makes sense for Frodo because literally it it grapples. This is the one of the better versions of like grappling with PTSD is like, yeah, Frodo can't really go on in the way that he has. He needs he needs the true rest that comes with with departing Middle Earth, because like the trauma he's been through is just he needs something different than just the Shire. Here's the here's one of my favorite things about the boat is when I first read it as a kid, it made me so mad. I was I was hurt and angry, and I all I could think about was how Frodo deserved the rest that he had earned, and how like why did he have to leave now that he's finally done what he set out to do, and like all of these things, and and I was so angry about it for so long because as a kid I didn't understand how you could ever be in a position that you wouldn't be able to go home anymore. And it has really stood the test of time in that now as an adult with an adult's understanding, I see something different in that ending. And I I now understand why it is the way it is. And that it, 
it can be sad and it can be frustrating, but that that is okay for it to, it's okay for things to be bittersweet because that's how life is going to be. And to be sad and melancholy is no better or worse than to be happy, you know? So like, I just like sort of my personal journey with that has been really important to me. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we, we talk a lot about sort of fantasy novels and the archetype and, and it's really easy to forget when we talk about Lord of the Rings being the archetype, that it wasn't an archetype when it was written, that when it was written, it was still new and it was fresh and it was something different than anything we'd seen before. And so a lot of times we see these sort of stereotypical bittersweet endings and they fall flat because they weren't done on purpose. They were done in order to be bittersweet. And like, this is the one that stands the test of time because it's coming from a very real place from a man who acknowledged that there are some things in life that you never come back from. Like sometimes you change so much that you can never be the person you were. I just, it, I just love it. That's all. And we love you. <gasps> I love you guys too. Yeah, that's, that's the end of my stuff. So is there, are there any lasting, lasting words about, about this movie, about Lord of the Rings as a whole? I, I just think I, I've never seen an adaptation like this before. I honestly don't think we ever will again. Um, and, you know, like, it's it's the only one of its kind. It's interesting. I, I'm very curious as to, like, the nature of the rights to these movies. Um, because I know that the Tolkien estate has very, very strong holds on the story, as they should. I think they're they're an estate that, like, uh, should should probably keep a stronghold because you could very easily fuck with this stuff um, as opposed to like some other estates, especially playwrights estates that can be really hard to deal with um, in the way that like they have the bidding for the other story to that go on Amazon. But I'm kind of sitting here like, huh, I know they're on HBO Max and like maybe Warner Brothers has some claim to them, but like I don't think these are going to be similar to like we know that when the time comes – all the heroes that we knew in Marvel are going to get rebooted simply because that's how Disney keeps their property rights. So the reason they do live action Disney remakes, it's the reason they're doing the villain stuff is so that they ha- constantly have something recent to claim that that is an adaptation that they have the rights to. And I don't know if we're going to have the same thing with Lord of the Rings. I truly believe it'll be a long time before anybody touches the original story again, simply because like they hold up. And so it's like we would have to have such a different state of technology and cinema for us to even touch them again. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if if you guys knew this at all, but the Token Estate recently had some, I don't know exactly what it was, but like change of hands or like some different things that happened. Um, And they're like making some decisions now that like they didn't in the past. So like there's a long history of people doing like Tolkien societies and like museums and like get togethers and groups and reading clubs and stuff like that. And like that's been going on since his first book was published. And they recently have started being like, no, you can't use his name. You can't put his name on your club. You can't write essays about it. Like they've really like started making some different decisions about the estate and how it can be used. And that kind of lined up a little bit with like Amazon getting the rights to do the Silmarillion stuff, which is like a whole thing that probably isn't going to go super well. So 
yeah, I don't know what the situation is there, but I, it's a situation where I hope that they don't try to touch it again soon. Like, I, I don't want Lord of the Rings to fall into the hands of a company that's going to do with it what Disney would do, you know, where it's like, oh, this is all about making money and not about caring about what this thing is. Yeah, this is not a, this is not, especially because there's only, there's only four books, or I mean, f- five books if you count the Silver Lane. Um, but it's like, this is not, there's, there is enough of a world to where it spawned, like they used to call halflings and D&D hobbits, and that was something they had to argue over. Um, but it like, it spawned so much in terms of fantasy in general, that it's like, the, 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 the work itself doesn't need to be churned and churned and churned and churned for more stuff. Like, that's not... You, you don't need to do that with like, and you know, and we see, we see the worlds in which it is somewhat beneficial to do that in a way that can still be fresh and new because Marvel continues to have fresh, you know, new characters coming in and they know how to kill a character. At least right now they do. Um, they know how to keep the story going right now. We'll see what happens, but they do tend to keep keeping it fresh versus Star Wars. Star Wars is like, this is getting hard to churn stuff out and make it still as satisfying. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to see how, like, what is it about each of these that makes them the way they are? And I think there's a regality to Lord of the Rings um, and that level of fantasy that we kind of just say, you know what? We're not going to touch that. Maybe we make something else adjacent to it, but we're not going to touch that out of respect. And maybe it's because Peter Jackson's still around. Maybe it truly is because Peter Jackson is still around. That's very possible. I also want to state for the record um, that we give Peter Jackson a lot of credit for these movies. Um, and I don't think we get enough, give enough credit to Philip Boyan and Fran Walsh um, because a lot of, a lot of the real work of Lord of the Rings was done by Philip Boyan and Fran Walsh and it had Peter Jackson's name on it. Um, and I think the clearest evidence of that is like when you watch The Hobbit and it's like, oh, this is what happens when Peter Jackson is allowed to make movies yeah. he wants to do it. And so Correct. like I like I want to I want to make sure that, you know, as a podcast, I guess that we're acknowledging that like truly it was the work of these two women that made Lord of the Rings what it was. Um, and and that 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 credit doesn't necessarily go to Peter Jackson's feet. Um without yeah. without acknowledging their influence totally absolutely i still think this would be better as a show yeah i mean we'll see we'll see what happens with amazon with a much denser text as i understand it yeah and they've made some choices already that i'm like huh i don't know that you understand the spirit of what you're doing but i guess we'll find out won't we I mean, Amazon, not that any of them are that great, but I would have preferred it be anybody other than Amazon. That's not true. Am- Amazon couldn't have it. Disney shouldn't have it. Anybody else? Uh, maybe. I mean, then again, actually, you know what? Warner Brothers is a, a crapshoot. So no, actually, no one should have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Warner Brothers isn't great. Yeah, Warner Brothers can't make a franchise to save their life. Um, true. So. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it, but that's that's just, just me. Also, I also think I mean, the ideal way to watch Lord of the Rings is all in one sitting it, as one story as it was always intended by Tolkien to be. And the, the fact that we even had to break it into three movies is honestly kind of a shame. Then you know what you do? You put it on stage 
and make every week just the whole week. You got to buy the whole okay, week and no. you come back every night. No, no, no. No, 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 no. This is not this is not the festival of Dionysus here where we sit for several pieces of theater. We don't do that anymore. We I mean, you don't. <laughs> I mean, if anybody Speak in this yourself, group was going to do it the most frequently, it's me. <laughs> I live where it's at. I don't sit for pieces of theater, but there have been many times in my life when I have sat and watched all of Lord of the Rings in one go. Yeah, that makes sense. You can do it in the comfort of your own home, or you could do it in a movie theater where everything is dark and things are canceled out, and you know. I just, I, oof, I can't even. Mm-mm. Uh, <laughs> I'm jumped way too. High and now we got to do Game of Thrones. Way too high. Oh, uh, have fun with that. We've I mean, both we're seen. Only, we're uh, only TJ, doing I've it seen all to, of it. We're only doing it because all this month was Lord of the Rings, so it's like. All right, now that we've seen the pinnacle of this specific type of genre, now Lord of now Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, it's not like we're covering like season eight, God. But like you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if we're actually ever going to get that far. No, we're like, not. Like I, I know where it drops off for me, and so as long as we have Peter Dinklage slapping a kid across the face and going, did my hand fall from my wrist? I'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, Dinklage is the best part of that show. So, <sighs> I mean, you do have Sean Bean being Sean Bean for a little bit of it. So, yeah, you know. I mean, there's other good parts, but Dinklage is the best part of that show. Yeah, he was a little too good. I think he won. The, I think he won the most. <laughs> he won the most Emmys off of it. I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, him being so good as that character is what caused some problems later on down the line. <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't have him be a heel. <laughs> I'm just like, no, 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 you fools. Don't fall into the fucking trap. Um, I, I like him when he's more honorable. Anyway, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> have fun with that. I simply have no respect for George R. R. Martin, so... No, that's fair. I don't either, but... That sounds like a story. But we don't have time for it here. We don't have time for it here. Also, it's a whole <laughs> rant, uh, and I won't subject you we all have, We've only gone about 45 minutes shorter than the movie itself, so... Yes! Have fun editing. Yeah, have fun with that, I TJ. I won't. <laughs> uh, I look forward to seeing what you do with all my very rambly monologues to make them presentable. I'll keep them in. No, I'll keep them in. No, <laughs> they'll be on top. Oh, please. He's done plenty with mine, so. Uh, I, I, um, please make me sound more eloquent than I am. <laughs> You're very eloquent just the way you are. That's very sweet of you to say. Jay, do you have anything you would like to, you do you have anything you would like to plug before you leave us? I do actually. I have two things. Um, number Yay. one, I am working on another podcast. Uh, it is with the uh, Utah STEM Action Center. Please don't. Um, if anyone's listened to this podcast and they're about to go listen to the Utah STEM Action Pod Center podcast, please know that um, I was not here in a professional capacity. I would never use language like that in in my work life. But it's called How'd You Think of That, and it is with prominent scientist and activist Temple Grandin. So if you want to check that out. Um, uh, I like it. It's pretty cool. And then also I have a shop where I sell nerdy things. It's called Tabletop Soapco. You can find me on Etsy or on Instagram. Um, and sometimes when I really love stuff like Lord of the Rings, I make up about it. So, um, you know, if that's the thing you're interested in, hit me up. I probably have something to tickle your fancy. Uh, Trevor, anything more? Please say no. 
No, no, it's all right. I could come up with something, but no. I mean, uh, yeah. Lord of the Rings is, I still think it's pretty great. Um, I, I, I still enjoy it. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it comes around every now and then, and I go, I'm going to watch Lord of the Rings. And then I do, and then I go, great, I'm good for a while. All right. And uh, as for me, I will stick to my Dragon Age. Um, <laughs> enjoy. So, and, oh, I will. Um, God, Dragon Age 4 is, oof, I... I don't know where they're going to go. And I, I, oof, EA. If we start this conversation, we I will know. not leave. So we should I be know. done. I know. But you're like, you're like the only person in the whole world that comes onto this podcast <laughs> that knows. That knows the pain. Uh, I do. I understand. <laughs> so until next time, uh, as we've already mentioned, next week will be Game of Thrones. Uh, we still don't know how much Game of Thrones. So. Um, but we do know the entire episode will be Game of Thrones, so don't expect our usual, like, oh, there's a movie and then there's Rejector Renew. It's all Rejector Renew, baby! So, until then, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. And we've been there and back again with The Lord of the Rings. Boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. They're taking the hoppers to Isengard, to Isengard. <laughs> One does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> Hello? My- oh my God, shut up. <laughs> <laughs>